I have found that Asian people respect respect white people and black people in football more than they do Asian people in football. So do are we not stereotyping ourselves? There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Z, how you doing? You alright? Very well, thanks. Excellent. We're joined this week by, I believe, a friend of yours, Coach Rudy. How you doing, Coach? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so Rudy, you are the first team coach at Billericay FC, who are in the National League South, um, which is quite a decent position to be in. And you also run the football academy, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, first team coach at Billericay Town, and um, I'm on academy for well, boys and girls, but predominantly boys, aged between four and 16. Okay, fantastic. And whereabouts is the academy? Uh, we're in the East London area. Um, and the park for us get pretty much cover all of yeah. East London, really. Okay. So, and yeah. so, for those that don't know, Billericay is in deepest, darkest Essex. Yeah, Billericay is a, is a lovely place, to be honest. I'm not knocking it. So, okay, <laughs> listen, tell us about your football journey. How did you How did you end up at Billericay? And then, I don't know if you want to work backwards from there or if you want to start at the beginning and then work up to Billericay. Um, I'll, I'll start at the beginning, I think. Um, so I played as normal, like, you know, as you do as a kid. Wasn't really my first love football. Um, I, I'm big into MMA, wrestling, boxing, fighting. <laughs> I, I'm really big into, into that stuff, even today. Um, so football wasn't actually my first love. But once, once I found it, it kind of just took off from there, really. Played in school, as you do. Um... I think football for me as a youngster was always about going against the grain and going against people's beliefs. Even as a even as a young kid, age 12, 13, 14, started off in the Asian League, where there was just predominantly Asians playing, which was quite a comfortable environment. Um ventured out, had had trials in places, was with Fulham for a short period, um, and got released from there when I came out. I didn't really love the game. Uh, I didn't really love playing the game, if I'm honest with you. It was always more of a mental thing, which was trying to go against the grain and trying to do what people say. People said that, that couldn't be done. Um, they were obviously proven right in that sense because I didn't go and make it as a pro player. But after that, again, it was... I love the game. I love the art of football. I, I, I love studying the game. I love studying the tactical side of it. And it was just trying to implement that. And when I first started, as I started coaching as a 17-year-old in, in, in my local in, in my local area uh, with a local side with a couple of mates. Um, and I was with an under-10s team. And that was, uh, I think, it, it, at the time, I thought I was Sir Alex Ferguson, um, as every young coach probably, probably thinks. Um, and I was doing bad things without any real guidance, to be honest with you. But what I was doing was I was watching the guys who were running the places at the time um, in, in the local clubs. Because in East London, there's a lot of local Sunday league sides. Um, and at the time, there wasn't really much in, in a youth setup. So I tried, I tried to implement a youth setup 
at a local club. Um, but I was only there for about six months, um, literally just observing the older guys and how they ran the establishment and how things were. And at the time, I thought they were, you know, they were bigger than probably most of these non-league sides because I'd never heard of any non-league sides, to be honest. So they were like the be-all and all for me in football. Um, and it was only to, and it was only at a later date where I was like, yeah, I can't believe I was actually um, looking at that in a positive aspect. But what it did do is subconsciously, I, I was learning um, of what not to do um, when I eventually start my own establishment, which happened a few years later down the line. Um, from the under 10 side, I actually started my own, my first club, which was called FC Catalans. Um, it was a spur of the moment thing, kind of set the club up within a six week period in the summer and um, held some trials, brought boys in all under 18s. And it was a really, really successful team. Um, I think that team is what inspired me to to carry on coaching and to carry on trying to further my my career, if, if I can call it that, um, in the game, um, because they were a brilliant side made up of really, really talented players, all from different areas. And, and the first thing that I did at that team was is bring separate communities together. And not, not in terms of like Asian communities, but it was like you had um, boys from the Upton Lane area and a Plastic Grove area and, and the Manor Park area. And so this is all like, East London for yeah, our listeners this is all up East North. London. Yeah, this is all, all East London, like areas in East London. And, and predominantly, these boys used to play for their like um, mosque sides and school sides and stuff like that. So they were always rivals. And I kind of wanted to bring them all together and have one real good side. And it worked. It just it just worked. Everything, all, all the mechanism fit together and a puzzle puzzle made. It was it was really, really good. Uh, that season, we went undefeated, um, won everything that came our way. And for the next couple of years after that, we kind of pushed them into what the Sunday league sides are now playing right now. I was doing that about 10 years ago with an under-18 side. Um, we chucked them into a premier division of the South Essex League, whatever it's called now. I don't know if it's called a combination or whatever it's called. Um, but back then it was called the South Essex League. And we chucked them in there and let them play as a bunch of youngsters and let them play football. And it was it was a very weird time when we went to men's football because we were the highest scoring side in the league with the lowest points. So you can imagine our games, they were mental. They were absolutely mental. We, we were losing games 12-8, 12-6, 10-5. They were rugby schools, but we, we went there, played free-flowing football. And when you've got a bunch of kids who've got nothing to lose, I uh, want to play football the right way, yeah, you'll lose games. Um, but it, w- it was a really fun time. Uh, from there, I got a gig at um, Redbridge, Redbridge FC, who were at the time in the Ryman North, which is steps, step six, no, no, step four, I think, maybe. Yeah, step four, I believe it is. Um, so I'd done that. I was flirting with the first team, but mainly I was in charge of setting up the youth setup. Um, so I did that, set the whole youth setup at Redbridge at the time and had the under 14s, which was a good age group to venture into, uh, considering I'd done under 10s and I'd done under 18s. So I was kind of in the middle, worked with the under 14s there. Again, pretty much won everything in my sight. The following season, I really, really, really wanted the under-18 side and playing the FA Youth Cup. Um, but I didn't get the job for whatever reason. I was promised it, but I didn't get it. Um, but I kind of stuck it out and took the under-16s instead in the Eastern Junior Alliance, which is a, 
a really tough league for anyone who knows it. It's basically one step below the academy level, right? Yes and no. Um, yes, back then. No, because now there's a, there's another league that's that's come about, which not many people even know about yet. Um, it's called London Youth Premier League. It's it's sponsored by Nike. It's funded by Crystal Palace, um, and it literally is a showcase league. It's it's massive. Um, it's only one league. Uh, it has all the age groups, but personally, having played in EJ, having coached in EJ and having coached in the London Youth. I think London Youth is far superior than EJ. Um, and that's all credit to, to, to the EJ as well. But yeah, I, I did coach in EJ for a little while. And while I was there at Redbridge, I had the idea of setting up my own academy. Um, but this time I was going to do it properly. I was going to do it. I was going to take my time with it. I was going to have coaches. I was, it was going to be properly done. And so I spent about six months getting everything ready, getting the coaches ready. And it was funny because the coaches that I talk about that now run the academy for me, uh, they were all playing in the FC Catalan side um, back when I first started my first side. So it was a great journey for them as well. That's a little story in itself that players that played for me when they were 17, 16, 17, 18 years old now coach for my academy, um, which is which, which is massive for me. Uh, it, it's, a re- it's, it's, a, it's a thing of pride when I, when I think about it because they've stuck with me for a good part of 12 years. Um, and now actually, we're actually colleagues and we actually work together and talk together. We're actually mates as well. We're actually best of friends. Um, so that's that. Uh, but yeah, when I left Redbridge and I started the academy, I was actually only at the academy for one session, believe it or not. Uh, the first session. So we got there. Like I said, I'd spent so much time getting the coaches ready that I had more coaches than I did players on my first session. Um, and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> Why did I do this? But now we stuck at it, and then luckily today it's, it's quite bigger. But I then got the job at Newham in, the, in step five in the Essex Senior League as a first team coach there, and I did that for about nine months. Absolutely hated it, and um, for the next four years after that, I was just rich, literally stuck with the academy. Uh, did the academy stuff and uh, got my break at Billericay, and here I am today. Billericay so- still running the academy. I mean, Billericay in some ways is a celebrity club. It's had some massive ex-pros as managers and as players as well. Um, how did that come about? Um, it was a funny one, that one was. Like, like I said to you at the beginning, I'm a student of the game. Um, I try to find every opportunity I possibly can to go and watch sessions if, if they're available to watch, whether it be academy level, whether it be grassroots level. I'm always looking to see what coaches are doing. And as I've said many times before, and I'll say many times again that coaches are the biggest thieves in the world we 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 look and we take and if we like it we take it and and, and we tweak it and we turn a session into our own and every coach does it there's nothing wrong with it that's how we learn um so i knew gifted no williams and i just asked I, I found out that he was the assistant manager at billericay I actually found out on Twitter. Um, it was a Thursday, weirdly, and I was sitting at work and I saw on Twitter that he's, he's the assistant manager at Billericay. So I messaged him instantly and I said, you know, ah, congratulations on getting the job, blah, blah, blah. Um, if there's ever a chance I can come and watch a session, please let me know. And he was like, yeah, no problem. You can come down anytime you want. So I said, what days do you train? So, you know, I can figure out a time and place. And he goes, we actually train Tuesday, Thursdays. So I said, do you, are you training tonight? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what time do you train? Where do you train? Can I come? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. You can come down. So on the same day that I'd spoken to him, I actually went down to the session uh, on a freezing cold 
October day, it was it was freezing that day, I remember. I went there. I thought, yeah, this is going to be great for my social media as well. I can take a little selfie with Jamie O'Hara and Gifton and, and, you know, say I've gone to watch another session and, and that's another couple of hours of learning in my bag. When I got there, it was just them two. Um, they, the, the first team coach who was with them had actually left, but at the time I was told that he was he was just off. Um, so it was kind of like them two taking a session. And for any, any of the coaches listening, they'll know when you try and take a session, especially in that, in that elite environment, uh, two people just ain't enough because trying to transfer from one one drill to another drill, picking up cones, doing all of that, keeping on top of the boys, it, it, it can get difficult. So I kind of just put, put my hat in the ring and, and went, listen, can I, shall I jump in? I'll pick up cones for you guys. And if you need me to do anything else, I'll happily do it. And they were like, yeah, if you could just, so I kind of got closer and closer to the action um, within that session. So where I started off behind the cage, I was now in the circle, listening to the tactics for the follow- for Saturday's game and, listening to everything and I was soaking it all in. I was like, this is brilliant. Um, at the time I had an under, under, under 14 side and I was like, yep, I'm using all of this that I've learned come Saturday in training. I'm going to be using every single one of this. And then after that, it was just where it was like, I took a selfie and I went, posted about it. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call from Gifton saying, listen, first team coach's job is available. Would you like it? Um, the gaffer was impressed with you on the day that you came in. Um, and you can come in, obviously shadow, learn the trick, learn, learn while you're while you're working, um, and just, just be be a part of the club. And, and I was like, yeah, there was, there was no way I could refuse the opportunity. So that's how it came about. And when was this? This was last last October. Last October. Okay, yeah. so it's fantastic. So it's it's perseverance on your side, and it's I guess an open mind to learning about the game and and putting yourself out there, and it's given you the opportunity. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, that, that, I firmly believe in doing that for, in not just in football, in any field. If you, if, if you want to succeed in something, first of all, you have to accept that you're not the best and you don't know everything. Um, you cannot go into an environment, any environment, whether it be grassroots or the elite game, thinking you know it all. Um, you have your skills, uh, and you keep them close to your chest and, and you learn. And when the opportunity and the time is right, you speak and, and, and you share your knowledge and, and you gain your respect that way. So it, it's about, for me, it was about being patient and getting, finding an opportunity. Even after I got the job, it wasn't a case of I went in and I was like, right, that's it, lads, this is it. We're doing it this way. No, it was, it was all about learning and it was all about adapting to the, to, to the environment and being, real, being realistic with myself. Now, I'm a youth coach. I've, I've spent my 10 years of coaching as a youth coach. I'm going now into men's environment, elite men's environment, players who have played in the league, players who have played in the championship, managers who have managed in the Premier League and played in the Premier League. You know, I can't go in there and think I'm the dog's bollocks and I know it all. It just can't happen. Um, I have to go in there, learn, give the respect and then earn my own respect at the same time. And um, I think that was that, that's massive for, for anyone listening. Like, if you want to be successful in this game, learn. Learn, learn, and learn. It's not about being on the coaching badges. Um, I'm living proof of that. It's not about getting coaching badges. It's not about um, saying yes all the time. It's it's about learning. And when the time is right and when the opportunity arises, give your input. And if it's taken, great. And if it's not, don't be disheartened because another opportunity will arise. And once you've gained your respect, trust me, these guys, yeah, they're ex-professional footballers, but 
they are also students of the game as well. And I think that's that's where the similarities are. That we're all students of the game, and we all just want to want to get better. Okay, going back to oh, hello. All right, let's say hello to Kevil first. Hi, Kevil. Nice hi, to meet you. Hi, guys. You're all right. Kevil, yeah, you look bad, like shit, you. man. Yeah, man. <laughs> honestly, it's absolutely destroyed me. This COVID stuff, honestly. Cool. All right. <coughs> thank, thank for your my screen. I'm not directly next to you. I'm socially distancing. I mean, I'm diagonally. <laughs> oh, imagine if you could catch COVID through Zoom. I'm sorry, I'm late. That's all right, Rudy. This is Kevil. Kevil, meet Rudy. Hi, Rudy. Nice to meet you, man. How are you? Nice to meet you too. I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, feeling a lot better now, mate. That's for sure. <laughs> good, 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 good. Hope you get well soon, man. Thank you. Cool. So, I mean, Rudy, have you listened to any of the podcasts so far? Um, I caught glimpses of the Trishan one. Trishan's a good friend of mine, so oh, um, yeah. I caught glimpses of that one. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, so you may or may not know, Kevil is a, a semi-pro keeper himself, and he's also training to be a sports psychologist nice nice a field uh, i like cool perhaps you two can can chat afterwards then um and kevil rudy is is an east londoner he's just been telling us about his journey into football and he's currently first team coach at billericay fc oh class you work under um Jake, jamie o'hara yeah i do yeah oh that must be a dream <laughs> it is it is like i was just saying um it's it's different, but it, it, I'm getting used to it now. Yeah, I can imagine it, the uh, the non-league setup there is uh, probably state of the art compared to most other clubs. Oh, it's brilliant! Um, the the consortium that owns it has has done a, has done a hell of a job um, with it. Uh, brand we've got a brand new facility now as well, so yeah, it's it, it, it's a proper club. It's a proper club now. Cool. All right, right. Listen, we're, let's get back to the thing. But Z Kevil. We haven't spoken about Billericay properly yet, but so if you want to jump in at any point in time to ask questions, obviously feel free to do so. Um, okay, so Rudy, just going back a little bit to the youth teams that you had, where they were playing in, in Essex leagues, you said, right? And they were mo- mostly made up of blacks and Asians. Is that right? Or was there... All, all my teams that... For for twelve years, I've been predominantly Asian black boys. Um, majority of my boys played in the East London Essex League, um, but like I said, we just ventured out uh, to the London Youth Premier League, which the league's actually based in West London. Um, but we do get a few home games this year uh, in in East London. Last year was completely we were just going to West London and playing our games there. Um, but this year they've they've got branches in East London as well, so we get a few games every now and again here. Um, so hopefully when COVID's gone and done and dusted, whenever that is, we can get back to it because we had a really good start to the league. Okay. And how? what sort of teams were you coming up against? Again, was there ethnic mix? Quite, was it quite mixed? Was it predominantly white, black? What was it? Um, the, good, the good thing with the East London Essex League is <laughs> it's not home and away. So all games are played in one location. Um, so there is a, is a great mix Um you get teams coming from Essex who are predominantly all white and then you get teams coming from Hackney who are predominantly all black. So it's, it's, it's a brilliant diversity um, in the league itself. So you are playing, you are playing up against um, different cultures and, and, and different races and, and exactly how football should be, to be honest. 
And has there been any issues in regards to talking about Asians in football at the moment? I mean, we know in the past there's been issues with certain clubs. I think, I don't know if you guys saw just about a month ago, AC Milano were playing this team who AC Milano are a local non-league um, team predominantly of Asians and they were playing against yeah, the team. Very good friends of mine, yeah. Yeah, did you see the video of them and the stuff that was happening in the game whilst they were playing? Yeah, saw, saw all of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Not cricket gestures that. and things like that. And then he kicked yeah, off yeah, again, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he kicked off and then, I mean, <laughs> look, we're not, we can't be oblivious to it. It, it happens. It happens in the game. Um, it, it's mad. I just think it's mad. When I see stuff like that, I just think it's mad. I, don't, I, I always think, how would I react in that situation? Because... I don't know if I've been lucky or just been in the right place at the right time, but I've never been, I've never experienced any any, any of that. So it's, when I see it... On, when on you a, say you've a, never experienced that, what, as a player or as a coach as well? Both. Really? I've wow. Never, I've never, like, blatantly experienced it. You understand that? I, I may have experienced it, someone saying something... Um, stereotypical or generic or something like that but I've com- it's completely gone over my head be- because of the personality that I am and, and, and the fact that I'm, look, I, I go to football for football I don't go for football for, to, for politics I hate politics in football I, I know they exist um, I was with a girl's side for eight, eight weeks um, things don't get any more political than, than working with a women's football team and, and I think I can say that because I've, I've been in the environment uh, and that's nothing against women's football. I love women's football and I loved my time in women's football. So I forgot to add that into my journey, to be honest, because it was such a short stint. I, I, I actually did eight weeks in, as a dual role at Billericay, where I was the first team coach for the men's and the assistant manager for the for the, for the women. Um, and I did that, did that for a whole pre-season and, and four games into the season as well. Um, so, yeah, I just I just can't. I, I just think the way I'm, I'm built and the way I'm designed, and I don't know what it's down to. I, I really can't pinpoint at one point to why I'm like that. But sometimes some of these things probably just go over my head and I don't really see it. But but I, I, I can't categorically say I've experienced anything like that. Wow. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of reasons why I'm surprised. So first of all, yes, I know I'm much older than everyone else on this call. Um, but when I used to play football as a teenager, we used to play in the Essex League. Our team was predominantly Asian. And it, most of the players were much older. They were the ones that had the pitch battles in Ilford with mm. the NF and stuff like that. So I'm go- I know I'm going back a little bit, but they didn't give any, they didn't take any shit on a football pitch. And yeah. we'd play games, and it was completely racially charged. And there were there, there were many times the referee would call the police at half time and and say it's going to kick off at the end of it, and he just wants some backup. Um, so that's the kind of football I grew up in. Now, my boy, he's playing for a Sunday league team. It's a mixed team. I'd probably say half black, and the other half is a mix between Asians and, and white kids. And I refereed a game, a friendly pre-season, and both teams, I mean, they're 14. They've just become teenagers. They're just, I think, hormones yep. are kicking in and stuff. And the amount of yapping that both sides are doing was doing my head in. And I'd forgotten completely about the Sinbin rule because if I'd remembered both teams, half of them would have gone. But even some of the comments that that team, both teams were doing, right? And in fact, both teams had a similar mix of players, included some 
some borderline racial stuff as well against against the Asians. Mm. And and so if it just seems to me that's just an easy because football gets gets um aggressive, uh it gets confrontational. And I think people look for the easiest way, easiest thing that they can do to rile up the opposition. And sometimes that spills over into interracial stuff. So that's why I'm amazed that you haven't really felt it. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, you've got real, real good luck. Or um, no, I, I, I really can't pinpoint to why that's the case. Or, or again, it's just me being really, really ignorant. Um, I will never put that aside as well. It could genuinely ju- that just be the case. Um, that's but, a good thing. Listen, nah, it's to not, you, it's, it, it's, it, if you haven't felt it, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, it, it, I say this and up until probably like six, seven, eight, six, seven weeks ago, or for even probably less than that, I've never even thought about it. To be honest, like I, I'll always fight the fight for Asians in football. I, I understand the numbers and the statistics and and the rest of it. Um, Asian coaches, of course, I want to see more Asian coaches. That's that's that. The amount that I see on a Sunday is is, is unreal. Um, and these are young coaches who I can have a conversation with who who want to be in the pro game. And then some sometimes some people are content with being in Sunday league and they're content with working with the youth or they're content in the academy system, and they don't really want to progress to elite men's football because elite men's football is is a different world. Um, and I, I found that out first time after I got there. When I first got, when I got offered the job, I didn't really think I was entering elite men's football, to be honest with you. I, was, I just thought I'm going to do another job. But then when was you go there, Pilar, you see, yeah? yeah, yeah. When you go there, you see, because even though I was doing, I did men's football at 25 um, in, in the Essex Senior League. This was, this is completely different. This is absolutely different. Um, they're, they're, you're working with professionals. Because this that's the environment that most of these boys have come from. You know, if, if I just go down the Billericay team, I mean, there must be thousands of league appearances in that team. And you you can't be in all. You can't you can't be starstruck. You can't you can't sit in a room with Jamie O'Hara and, and shit your pants. You know, he's gonna give it to you. He's the manager of a football team. We're in a results-based industry. If I mess up, He's, he's going to pin me to the wall and let me know I've messed up. Uh, and that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what is... And I think it comes down to the fact that in all this time that I've been coaching, I've never really had any mentors or any guidance or anyone telling me this is what you're supposed to do and this is what you're not supposed to do. And it's all been self-taught. So when you go into these kind of environments, again, you're still learning by yourself, um, but you, you you've almost got this... Uh, pressure. I think the word is used is pressure, but it's a pressure that you like. It's a pressure that I love. I love the pressure of going out there Tuesday, Thursday, preparing for for Saturday, and and knowing that we have to win, or knowing that we need to get a result, or because our jobs are on the line. So it, it's I, I I thrive on it. I love it. Um, I, I just think it's it's just such a different world going into the men's game. And you haven't noticed that because I'm assuming that most of those ex pros they probably wouldn't have come across an Asian. It's very unlikely they would have come across an Asian coach in their careers. Has, nah. has that been, has any of them intimated that to you that, Oh, you're a bit unusual or anything along those lines? Nah, not at all. Not at all. Like I said, on Sky Sports this morning, Paul Koncheski, Jamie O'Hara, Gifton, no Williams. Like these, 
Gifton played for Jamaica. Paul played for England. He's an England international. He played for Liverpool, West oh, Ham. Bigger than that, yeah. West Ham was about to say. Scored in the world in the FA Cup final. Um, but it, these guys are incredible. They're, especially Paul. I, I will give a special shout to Paul because we've almost become best mates since he's, since he's coming. He's coming this season. Obviously, I was, I've been there for a bit longer than him, but he was he was actually a player. He was a player well. there a, um, a year or so back, right? Yeah, couple, yeah, that's correct. I think it was before I came in. Um, and then, obviously, he's back now as assistant manager. And yeah, it's, it, it, they, they just listen and they ask for your opinion. They ask for your input. Every day, don't get me wrong, when I, every session I go to, I still have the same nerves that I had when I first took the job. I'd be lying if I said I don't because, like I said, it's it's that element of every training session, every game, every minute you're out on the ground with these people, you have to be at your best. Um, you have no room for... I, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but I, I won't. Uh, but you have no room for F-ups, basically. You cannot mess up. And... I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the personality in me. Maybe it's the fact that I, I want to be at the top of the game, that I love the pressure. And if that if it, if that pressure wasn't there, I don't think I'd enjoy it as much. That's, that's the honesty of it. So having these guys around, oh, it, there, there's never a scope of like, oh, you're Asian. What are you doing? Yeah, nah, there's nothing like that ever. It's, it's just, we're here to, we're, we're all here. We're all on the same page. We're all here to win games of football. Um, and, it's just what value do you bring to to the, to the table? That that's that's all it comes down to, um, because we're all just one team, aren't we? Okay, fantastic. So, uh, any hangovers at Billericay from the Glen Glen Tamplin era? <laughs> yeah, actually, without having any realization, to be honest, because when I came in, Glen had just left, um, so. Little to my knowledge, it was a whole revamp. It was a whole, and it still is to an extent. It, it it was it was new consortium of owners coming in, so there was new staff coming in. Obviously, uh, Jamie had just got the job. Gifton was just appointed assistant. I'm this newbie who's walking into a, an environment I've never been in before. The players that were there under the Tamplin era had gone because the money had disappeared, and. Jamie was rebuilding the whole side. I think we spent the first, the months of this November, December, January, yeah, even creeping into February, just before the pandemic. We had at times 12 players in, in our squad. And it's not, it, it's people always, people, it's very easy for people to look at the results that we've had since, since, since Jamie's been a manager, um, since I've been involved in the team. But, Man, we've been fighting a losing battle from the from, from right from the beginning. It, it's not been easy, um, not not in the slightest. But we, the good thing about us is, is all of our mindsets are equal, and we're all ready for the graft, and we're ready for the challenge, and and, and that's what we enjoy. And, and we've currently got a really really good squad. And like I said, the consortium have done a, a really good job in turning what was a mud bath into in, in, into a proper luxury um, facility now. Okay. Just so for our listeners, if you don't know about Glenn Tamplin, look him up on Wikipedia and stuff like that. It's an interesting story. <laughs> He's basically tried to do an Abramovich uh, non-league club and due to some issues, left suddenly and in a state. But there you go. Um, okay. To so- be fair to him, though, you can't, 
to be fair to him, can't take away what he did do because um, he, he he did invest very very heavily into that club, and I think any of the fans there, anyone would be lying if they if they said that they didn't appreciate it because he did. Le- yeah, yeah, he's a character. Yeah, we all know that, but at the same time, he, he has invested some serious amount of money in, in that place. Yeah, no, listen, I didn't say anything negative. I just said he's an interesting character. And oh, right, just very, for, the, very, for, the, for, the, for the for the sake of what happened was he, he ended up, it was it got quite nasty. People were threatening him and stuff like that. And that's that's why he left. But it, there's there's obviously more to it, etc. So, um, like I said, it's interesting. Look it up. Um, okay. Game so, one, man. Game one. Get, get on, yeah. <laughs> right. So, it, all right. So in your time, you've obviously coached lots of... Asians, you've you've been coaching them since, or from ten years upwards, all the way through. Has has there been any that you thought they're good enough to make it, and and that haven't, or any ones that have and have made it, perhaps just to a high level at non-league football or something like that that we haven't, we're not aware of. Yeah, no, I'm still waiting for my first real breakthrough. If I'm being honest with you, and um, is that is that to do of- with with the talent not being there or do you think lack of opportunities? Initially, it was lack of opportunity. Um, 100%. In, in, in initially, when I first started, again, I was an unknown entity when I when I started 12 years ago. Um, I met Z, I think it was the first Asians, Asians in Football Forum and, I, and Z didn't know who I was. Nobody in that place knew who I was. Um, and I was just starting out. So, I think football... One thing about football is is, is a close knit community. Um, at every club, is close knit. Once scouts have a a comfort zone, let's call it a comfort zone, where it might be a grassroots club that produces players, scout tends to go and watch that same club over and over again and see if there's talent coming through because they're they're pretty well known for producing talent. Um, so it was about being one of those clubs and, and being that guy and being being the guy who who gets the opportunities really. Um and today I can I can happily say that I have a great relationship with a lot of a lot of uh, uh football clubs and a lot of academies out there. So um if there if there is a player who I believe is can cut can cut the grade and can can go and play at academy level football, I'll be the first person to pick up the phone and, and call up a scout. Um be at step one, step two, step uh, oh, cat one. Sorry, I should say because academy football, um, but cat one, cat two, cat three, whatever it may be, um, we always look for opportunities for for our boys. Uh, and the reason why I say we haven't had a breakthrough yet is because really it's only a, a three and a half, three and a half year project that that that's taken in that's t- taking its time. So it, it's got to, the boys have got to get to the, to that age of becoming pro before I can say that they made a breakthrough. But have we had boys into the academy system? Yeah, 100%. Have, have boys missed out on the academy system? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, and, and that's down to the fact that, one, the lack of opportunity, but when you say lack of opportunity, is it because what we're all thinking, that it's a stereotypical problem, that, uh, Asians are discriminated against um people think about asians in a certain way absolutely 100% yes and absolutely 100% that argument isn't going to change until there's a whole new generation of scouts why because it's not because this 
and I and I say this like I don't want to put don't want viewers to think that I'm against the fight or whatever it is. I'm not. I'm absolutely pro fight. But it kind of led to two different things. The paint the picture that we have painted as a community first and foremost isn't helpful. As an Asian community, we haven't helped ourselves, and that's not all of our fault. That's definitely not all of our fault. But it's that same old argument, okay? Uh, black people, you'll hear black people still argue about this today. And how long have black, black people play, play in the Premier League? Black people play for the national team. And you'll still hear it. When, when you hear a black footballer, all of a sudden, the stereotype that's attached to them is that they're big, strong, and Pace quick. and power. PMP, yeah? That's what's attached to black footballers. And the same way Asian footballers is that they're lazy and they don't have time for it. And to an extent, to a degree, that is absolutely true. It's hard. You're not, when you talk about Asian footballers, it's very easy to say, I'm Asian, I'm brown-skinned, and I play football. Okay, what goes with that? How many know what it takes to reach the top, the actual? I'm not talking about an Asian. I'm talking about just a generic footballer. What does a footballer have to do in his daily lifestyle, in his, da- in his daily uh, routine? When you then add the, co- the, the, the cultural aspect of Asian to it, there is a massive clash. It's a huge clash that, that happens. And I'm living proof of it. It's difficult. Football, I, I, and this might sound racist. I don't know if it does. And, and, and correct me if it does, please, because uh, I'm not, it's not my intention at all. But see a white, white kid when he wants to play football. He is invested in football. Period. His family is invested in his progression. His grandparents, uncles, aunties, and and the rest of it, is they are invested in the kids' football. If there's a family wedding and there's a football match, they will go to the football match, not the family wedding. There is there, there's a whole different uh, element that nobody ever talks about when it comes to Asians in football. Yes, we have a lack of opportunity. Yes, we're not. Um, when our numbers are poor, poor. When you think about it, you know the amount of pro players we've got, amount of boys we've got in the academy system, amount of boys playing national, uh, non-league football, amount of coaches, amount of board of directors, and the rest of it. Yes, but there has to be reasons behind all of it. It can't. We can't just say, "Yep, yeah, everyone's racist." It. it it's just. For me, the argument just doesn't cut it. It just doesn't cut it. Okay, so I'm going to let me let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. I think it's a very complex issue. Now, and I and I think look, what you said isn't racist, but I think you're generalising a little bit. And what I mean, yeah, hundred percent. And I, I right. knew that as soon as I was about to say it. <laughs> Listen, that's fine. I've got no problem. I've not got no problem with you saying it, and hopefully you've got no problem with me taking you up on it either. Um, yeah. No. So yes, there's a massive generalisation, but. I mean, like Kevin will tell you, he's had family support in his football career. I'm giving all the support I can to my boy in his football career. We know many other Asians that have as well. And I, yeah. I accept the fact that maybe there may be 8% of the population in the UK might be Asian and they're all interested in football. But once you factor in parental support and community issues, etc., that might drop down to 2 or 3%. But that's still a lot of Asians that have tried and have failed. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And like I said to you, 
Is there an element? Is, are there elements of this? Yeah, like I said, even the scouting system. You go back ten years ago, and you ask the scout, "Why are you not looking at an Asian player?" Who says you? Because they're lazy. There's no point in me going to watch the kid, because even if he's good, he ain't gonna come to training four times a week. Because there was a there was a generalization in that, and that's got to have stemmed from somewhere. Someone somewhere along the line has got to have offended that scout in in certain way. Because the scout's job is really and truly beyond anything else. The scout's job is, I don't need to find talent. That's that's it. That's all a scout has to do is find talent. There's no criteria when, into the talent. There's no, it's got to be black. It's got to be white. It's got to be Asian. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. It's got to be that. It's got to be that. When you're watching a game of football, let's just say it's watching a seven-a-side game of football and the tens, um, it's, it's watching 14 players. It's not really that difficult to watch 14 players for 40 minutes. You'll find your star player in, 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 in out of that 14. Very, very easy, especially if you're a scout because... They've got the tools to do that, right? They're trained. They're trained to, to, to do that job. And before, 10 years ago, I would have said, why, why would he have a problem with taking an Asian kid? Why? What kind of silliness is that? Like, why would you not? If he's the most talented player on the pitch, it's simple. If he's the most talented player on the pitch, that's the one you pick up. You don't leave him behind. You pick up the most talent, biggest talent because in football, you are the best. That That, that is the... the the fundamental of football is you, you want to create the best best team and, and win games of football. I know it's changed in, in, in 10 years where everything's about participation and, and let's have fun and then football's for all and blah, 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 blah. But football at its core, when you're playing in the playground uh, as, a, as a five-year-old and six-year-old, you're not, you're not there to participate. You're there to win. When you're a 10-year-old playing in your team, you're not there to participate. You're there to win. No matter what your coach has said, no matter what the FA guidance says, no matter what the league is saying, the kid on the pitch wants to win. And the winners will win. Eventually, the winners will win. And that's what I'm trying to say to you. That us as an Asian community, the winners are going to win. I promise you, the winners will win. And they are winning. But the problem we've got is we're scattered so, 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 so far apart. So I don't even know all the Asians that are involved in the game. We as a community don't know all the Asians that are involved in the game yet. We don't. You don't know every single Asian person that's involved in the game. Like, just for example, Keva, who's playing seven, seven professional football. I did not know about him until I just came on this right now. Right? Should so, have listened to the podcast before then, shouldn't you? Probably should have done. Probably <laughs> should have done. 100%. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, no, you're right. But, Listen, but, in the last couple of days, the Greg Clark comments have come out. His resignation's come out. And more and more people are talking about it on social media. And I've started following a whole heap of people in the last couple of days that exactly. seem to have an interest in this that I'd never... Never heard of, never come across before. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we've got to keep doing that. We have to keep doing that. We, we, we have to keep an element of positivity at, while keeping our scepticism. So we don't just, uh, what I'm saying is we're not, we're not just going to be there and be like, yeah, nah, not, no, one, no one's racist and we're going to get a chance. No, we have to be real, realist. We have to be realist all the time. And yes, we have to work harder, but there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best in your trade. There's no God-given right to any of us to make it in this game. It's the statistics. When you, when you, you, we're talking about Asians, right? We're talking about Asian statistics. And we, we, we conjured it up to 2%. From 8%, we went to 2%. And we said the number still ain't right. But when you actually look at football as a whole, as a whole, you're talking about one in every 1,000 kids that play the game is going to make it to the top grade. Those numbers themselves are tough. So the whole industry is tough. 
it's not just it's tough for Asians. It's not just tough for Asians. Yes, it potentially is harder for Asians because we're not getting a spotlight on us. Yeah. So that's why I had the Global Game podcast um, and I was doing it over the quarantine one. Tell us about one, the Global I, I, Game I did, podcast. Well, it was it, it was it was a two series thing I, I did. Um, I, I flirted with the idea of doing a third series in this lockdown, but I'm so busy with um, with, with training, so because our training is still on, um, so it, it became and, a, and appearances it, on Sky and stuff, right? Uh, that's 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 uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like I said, right place at the right time. Um, but yeah. Uh, it's, it was basically that. That was the intention behind it. The intention behind it was is to put the spotlight on on people in the game. You know, Dinesh Gilela, for example, who who was on, also on Sky Sports today. Um, the Bournemouth boy. Nobody, not not many people in the. I must say, nobody, but not many Asian people that I know that are in the industry actually even knew who he was. And I was lucky enough to meet him because he came on loan at Billericay and I needed to share his story. So that, that was the whole point of the of the Globe, Global Game Pod, which was to, to highlight not only young budding footballers, but sports scientists and, and coaches and volunteers and parents and, and every, every, every everyone who loves the game because we all love the game. Um, whether it be white, black or Asian, we all love the game. And yes, there's some dinosaurs in this game who need to go and... One of them just left, good riddance. Um, and hopefully a whole lot of them will, will go and we'll keep fighting the fight and we'll keep challenging these guys and we'll keep going on Twitter and we'll keep fighting them. We have to fight them. We can't sit there in silence. We have to keep continuing our fight because it's our fight. We're fighting for our community. So there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with, with me being on Sky Sports and having a brown face and, and talking about this and... Thank you to Sky Sports for allowing me to do that. Thank you to allow me to come on here and speak about uh, these things because we need them. We need to be highlighted and we need to be put in the spotlight and, and we need to tell the stories of, of yes, it's difficult. Yes, I experience this. And more so, you guys like, who have experienced it, people who have experienced outright racism, speak out on it. Like I said to you, I'm lucky or I'm ignorant. And one of those two things in terms of racism towards me um so i don't i can't i can't really lie about it i can't make things up i'm not going to tell stories just for the sake of telling stories i'm only going to speak the truth and if no one if i've not had a racial encounter i can't say i have um and that's why i might come across the way i do because i've never experienced but if i was to experience it all of a sudden my my stance may actually change a little bit but that's not to say that i don't sympathize and i'm not with people who have experienced it because those experiences are wrong and they shouldn't happen. Like scouts shouldn't judge. There shouldn't be premeditated judgment, basically is what I'm trying to say. For anybody, for anybody, there shouldn't be premeditated judgment, not just Asian people, black people as well, white people as well. There shouldn't be a premeditated judgment. Okay, so you mentioned scouts. Now, I know in the last year, I believe it is, the FA is trying to change scouts training etc have you seen mm-hmm. that has it come into effect do you think it's going to have a sufficient impact well i've got the time i've got talent level id id one um i i did that just to see what what scouting was like uh it's a tough job scouting to be honest with you it's not easy um because you're trying to find a needle in a haystack and and, and that's hard um 
You have to do your due diligence and you have to be certain because see football, football is all about reputation. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier on regarding scouts being in their comfort zone and going to the same club over and over and over again. And the reason why they do that is because of the reputation. So if that club's got a great reputation in producing talent, then uh, a scout will naturally edge towards that, that side and be like, oh, 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 he, must, he must have a talented player. And that way, the rest of us get left out. Do you, do, do you see that? So when yeah. I'm, now that I've got a, a, a half-decent reputation in producing a footballer, like I said, my experience is that the scouts are not coming over to me and saying, oh, or I'm not getting that, that premeditated judgment where it's, oh, there's Asian players there. It's talent. I'm seeing talent. So, and he's got a reputation now. So I can, I can phone him and I can ask him. And I've had scouts phone me many times, any players, because they're always on the hunt for players. So their job is tough, but, um, I think there needs to be more younger, younger scouts. If, 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 if in, in, in reality, um, but where do they come from? Where do they get the experience? Who, who do they, who do they learn for? So, so the, the governing bodies have to do more in terms for 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 scouts. They ha- they have to do do they have to do a hell of a lot more. Uh, and obviously, the the times are changing as well. So, we're a lot more social media inclined now, aren't we? Um, sometimes scouts don't even need to go out and watch players because the amount of footage that's out there on on footballers is is it's mad. It's, it's actually mad. And, and I think that could potentially be, be making scouts' lives a lot harder as well, if I'm being honest with you. Because like, they, like- they, they see a player. They see a player on a video on Instagram and, and, and they've already made a premeditated judgment. Do you, do you see how kind of, it's, it's such a, it's such a mad, mad game, this game. Such a mad game. Yeah. Something that we, we talked to Dan Kilvington about in episode 10 yeah. was the fact that scouts tend, like you said, they, they tend to go... They, they build relationships with clubs and that's the clubs that they go yeah. to. So it's a question of if Asians are not playing in the right clubs, how do they get into the right clubs or how do the clubs they're at start building relationships? Z, Kevil, any questions for Rudy? Not for the moment. I'm enjoying your, I'm enjoying uh, Rudy's conversation so far. But I'll pipe in when I do have one. I, I have a question. I have a question for Rudy. Um, I just wanted to know your thoughts on kind of the, I wouldn't, I don't want to say victim culture, but the negative perception that us Asians have of ourselves in the game and how that impacts our progression through the system. Um, Obviously we know that there are a lot of, well, I wouldn't say a lot of, but more Asian players coming through the system now. But do you think that that negative perception that we have of ourselves within the game impacts our progression moving forwards and the way that maybe our parents or uh, relatives perceive our place in the game as well? Yeah, 100%. Look, positivity breeds positivity. That is fact. Um, it's not made up. It's not a myth. And you're right in using a victim culture, in my opinion. I've been spouting that for about 10 years. Z will vouch for me on that. Um, we do play victim. We, we do. That is what we do. Um, whether it's just built in us or, or what is what we've been taught to do. The times are changing. We're third generation now. Like um, Apu just said, that he's, he's dedicated his entire time to to his son. And I, I now have a six-year-old who happens to be at a pre-academy, at Cat One Academy. Um, but again, being involved in football, 
for me, when it comes to my son, that this is just me of my opinion. People might call me crazy. People might call me stupid. But I don't really want him to sign for an academy just yet. I'm letting him enjoy his pre-academy time because it's great for him. There's no pressure on him. But if they offer me a two-year contract, I will definitely have to think about it. And I, and I, and I genuinely mean that. I, I could end up rejecting that contract. And how's that one for a twist? Because here we are talking about um, getting opportunity and... I'm actually, as a parent, willing, I'm not saying I'm going to, but I'm willing to not take that opportunity at the moment. So, I, think, I think something that comes from, Rudy, is you're involved in the game and you understand the game and you know that if you don't take it up now, there, if he's good enough, he'll also have opportunities in the future, providing things go the right way. Whereas I think one of the things, again, that's been identified that we've spoken about previously is... A lot of Asians, it's probably not just Asians, it's probably a lot of other people, a lot of people that are not involved in football don't understand how the system works and don't know what they need to do to either get in or what's best for them. Yeah, I mean, it's... See, going back to what Kevin's point was about the negativity within within the Asian community. Now, the the, the biggest thing I find, and and remember, I've worked almost 12 years with Asian people and Asian parents and and from second generation to third generation. Um, A lot of players that I played with growing up as a a youngster playing the game, I now coach their kids. Um, So that's mad in itself, you know, ex-teammates and ex-rivals, and I'm coaching their kids now. And I want to say this really, really, actually, you know what? I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to try and have a filter now. You know, I've not had a filter all this time, so there's no point. Um, Asian people don't respect Asian people. Yeah. Asian people don't respect Asian people. hundred percent. And that's, that, that, and, and that is the biggest problem I find in the game. It's one of the most off-putting things in my coaching journey. If you ask me about what what don't I like about the game, it's that. I hate the fact that Asian people do not respect Asian people. What do you mean by that? that Yeah, yeah, what I mean by that is is I have have players that uh, play for my academy, right? Now, it's taken me a long time. I'm 31 years old. I wish I could be 24, 25 again because I feel like I would have a really, really good chance to go all the way. Um, with the knowledge that I've got right now. But I'm 31 and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'll live with that. Um, but what I have an element, and I, I'm really trying not to be beginning, and I'm really trying not to, to, to blow, my, blow smoke up my own ass here, yeah? but I have a knack of producing footballers. Um, I'm a one-to-one coach. I, I, I understand the detail of the game. Uh, yes, I've got the job um, with an element of luck at Billericay, but I didn't get to keep the job with the element of luck. It's not coincidence that I'm there. I must have done something right along my journey to, to still be there, to still be in that environment. Like I said, with elite um, caliber of people. And Asian people would rather take their kid to a black coach or to a white coach who works for a West Ham United Foundation. And I'm being really, really respectful to West Ham United Foundation. I'm just using you as an example. Yeah, guys, so don't kill me, please. Um, but... They'd rather take a coach to, 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 to a white coach from West Ham United Foundation because 
there's there's probably more chance that the white guy will get me in through the doors. No, no. Your chances didn't increase because you went to a white person. So if you're talking about um, discrimination in football, and I, and, I, and I said I haven't really experienced any, any racism in football from white people or from black people, but I probably have experienced discrimination from my own people, which is just the most silly thing in the world because I'm fighting their fight and I need them to support me so I can support them. I need them to give me the backing so I can help not only push my myself, but push their kid as well. And I think for me, that's the biggest problem we've got as a community. And I'm not saying all of us, I'm not painting everyone with the same brush. There's some good people in the game. There's some, there's some really supporting people in the game. But I have found that Asian people respect, respect white people and black people in football more than they do Asian people in football. So do, are we not stereotyping ourselves? And this is just a question. Mate, I'm 100% with you. I agree with you that I, I think we, me and Kevin have said we've had conversations in the past with Asians and they're not surprised at the lack of Asians and they will try out any one of several stereotypes. Question for you, just on that, we've asked everyone else um, who's been working with a non-league club. You were working with Billericke when they used to have crowds, right? Yes. Okay. Any Asians in the crowd? Only when my mates came to watch. Ha. <laughs> Mad experience for them. Yeah. Well, listen, I've been to non-league games. Um, when Glenn Tamplin took over, what did he take over? Romford? It's Romford FC. Yeah. It was a Hornchurch yeah. FC. Yeah. I went to a yeah. couple of games over there just because he created a bit of a buzz around it. He was he was trying to yeah. do the same thing as Bill Ricky, but just a couple of levels lower. Um, yeah. I'll be honest. I... At the time, I didn't notice it. But then I've been to football. I've been around football long enough that I don't look out necessarily for other Asians in terms of wanting, needing to feel welcome there. So I didn't yeah. feel have any issues there whatsoever. But thinking back about it, I don't recall. I don't recall a single other Asian there in the crowd. There are probably about two hundred mm. in both times. So yeah, inter- interesting. You talk about support. So one of the things that. I think is I'm not is yeah there's different levels of support we're looking at different things but I think where I I may have said this before I think the majority of Asians tend to support the top six clubs and because of that and they're always challenging therefore that's all their attention is I don't think they they really care about grassroots unless their kids happen to be involved Um, and this question about non uh asians playing for their club like i said it's their club's challenging they don't they couldn't that's that seems to be their focus i'm generalizing i'm aware of that but that's that's how it feels kevilzo uh z any other questions i just want to rewind a second uh, about a minute or two just to when you were talking about the um the coaching uh discrimination about how asian parents would probably rather go to a a black Mm -hmm. or a white coach who coaches at west ham I just wanted to ask your thoughts on this. How much of that do you think is uh, a perceived confidence, not confidence, sorry, a perceived competence thing? Because most most Asian parents, particularly in the game, uh, probably believe that because a coach is attached to a West Ham or a Chelsea or an Arsenal, that they might be more competent than uh, an Asian coach who hasn't yep. got that affiliation. 
you, do you think that's also a factor there rather than just, um, well, not, I'm not playing the race card, but, you know, factoring in race. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's process. Been of that. But when, when, so I'm talking about myself, so I, I'm never going to generalize um, to people's stories that I don't know. So I'm spe- literally speaking of my own, own experiences. And, and I felt like yeah. I, I, oh, I feel like I've done enough in the game to be warranted the same amount of respect um, that a coach at West Ham or or, or Arsenal um, is doing. Whatever work he's doing, I'm doing. Um, what I'm saying is, is the community wants me to support them, but why isn't that same support reciprocated? Because at the first opportunity that a... And again, I'm speaking entirely from personal experience. The first opportunity that a, a black coach or a white coach, without doing any due diligence, without doing any homework, if they, if they, if they, if, they, if the coaches are at West Ham Foundation, the people in football know that that doesn't really mean anything. If he's the West Ham Academy coach, I'll hold the kid's hand myself and take him to the academy coach, because all I'm here for is progression. And if I can see an element of progression in, 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 in the kid's journey by him going over to a superior coach to me, I've got absolutely no problem with it. What I've got a problem is, is when you're going sideways or even below, yeah? And again, I'm trying to say it without disrespecting, I'm going to not say West Ham Foundation anymore, I'll say somebody else's foundation, Chelsea Foundation, or Arsenal Foundation, whoever's foundation it may be. But I'm saying a foundation setup is literally, that is what it is, it's a community setup. It's probably lower than grassroots. Because they don't play any games, it's not really competition. It's just training, having, keeping kids active. Do you understand? Well, we're talk- what I'm talking about is progression into the academy system. And if if you're serious about progressing your kid into the academy system, then I'm as serious as you because I'm the kids' coach at the end of the day. And even if I am not, even I'm, if I'm not the kids' coach, like for example, Apu, his boy has has, a, has an ambition to make it in the game, and I don't know Apu's kid at all. But all of a sudden, now I have. The same ambition as Apu to make to, to help Apu's kid go and be as best he can be in the game because he's of the community and I want to help. I don't just want to say it. I want to help. And if, I, if there's any way, shape or form that I can help, then I'll do that. And what I'm trying to say is that you have parents in your own academy who play for your Their kid plays for your team. And the minute they hear about West Ham Foundation without doing their homework, without doing their due diligence, all of a sudden that coach is... Oh, yeah, he's gonna take. He's, he's gonna make. He's gonna make my son pro. And I'm giving you and saying to you, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's got a hundred kids who go to him. There's only one of me. Would you rather go to a pub? If by choice, you didn't have to pay. Would you rather go to a public school or private school? Yeah, yeah. I and I think you make a really important point here, particularly from a cultural point of view, because I read I read an article online about how clubs are now looking to employ more black coaches because the population of mm. black players in football is rising. And from a cultural point of view, black coaches are obviously going to be able yeah. to relate to black players a lot better. And one thing that clubs are missing out on, which I think you indirectly alluded to in your response, is that clubs are missing out on having Asian coaches, which is affecting the number of Asian players that are yeah. making it through the system. And you look at all the Asian players at pro clubs now, the likes of, you know, um, the lad at Liverpool, the lad at, um, I think there's one at Bournemouth as well. They won't have that that cultural support from an Asian coach yeah. because there's no Asian coaches at that yeah, level. Yeah, 100%. They will, they, they, they will not. Um, and at, But at the same time, like, um, 
I don't think like me personally, and this is me speaking as now as a coach who just happens to be Asian, right? I'm not speaking as an Asian coach. Um, but as a coach, I, I feel like it doesn't matter what what what's what skin colour the, the, the kid is or the or the player is and, and, and what level he's at because it's my job. It's my job to be able to relate to every single football player. And 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 I and I'm sure that I speak for the majority of coaches out there that, that we all incline the same. Um, especially the younger generation of coaches that we don't care what, what colours in front of us. We need to be able to relate to a kid, you know. We 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 need we need to be able to speak their language and we need to be able to understand their lingo and what they're saying and what they're doing and 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 just relate to them on an off the pitch basis. Because once you've got a relationship off with a kid off the pitch, then on the pitch you, you've got you've got them you've got them tied in. Um they're gonna listen, they're gonna they're, they're and again, it comes down to, 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 to ambition as well. The kid, you know, you know, parents have ambition. That's one thing. The kid's got to want it. The kid's got to want it. And then then that's where I personally believe what my strong point is. Because when I know a kid wants it, I want it for the kid. And and when I want it for the kid, we're going to try. We're going to go for it. Uh, and and if we fail, we fail. But there's nothing wrong with failing. People fail. We will fail in life. We fail in we fail in our jobs. We fail with people fail in marriages. People fail in, in their everyday life. People fail. There's nothing wrong with failing in football. But by God, give it your all. Give it your all. And 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 that's where me as a coach for the community and also not for the community, for, for whoever it may be, if I can see the passion in the kid, then I'm sold. I'm sorry. It, it, it doesn't. It's not about monetary after that. It's not about finance. It's not about. Um, it's it's just about giving the best to that kid. And if if all coaches, which I hope they are, think the same, then we're in a good place right now. We're in a good place. And yeah, I completely understand. Black coaches um, relate better to black players, and Asian coaches relate to Asian players. And but to a degree, I agree with you on that. I also feel like I can relate to to a white player, and I feel like I can relate to a black player, and and I feel like it's just about getting to know each personal kid and, and having a bespoke service for that kid um, and not for the parent. That's, that's the reality. It's not, we're not doing this for the parent. We're doing it for the kid. Absolutely. You, you make a great point as well on that. And it shouldn't be about, you know, certain races of coaches relating better to their own, to their own culture. It should be coaches should be able to be universal and relate to everybody. Right? I mean, that's what the spirit of the game is about is to be universal. Oh, see, and, See any last questions before we wrap up? Yeah, I think just on 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 this point that we're talking about, you, Rudy, you mentioned about your your global game pods, and also this podcast yeah. itself is highlighting creating visibility of uh, South Asians in the game at all levels. Uh, yeah, I personally think that is what is required to change perception, because if you've got um, if you've got a coach who's talking like a coach, and you, I, I, we can't see each other here. This is an audio podcast, right? Now, if you're yeah. listening to, to Rudy talking about football, talking about working on league, working with the likes of Jimmy O'Hara, etc., we amplify that message out. When they then see who's the voice behind that voice and the knowledge, then they're going to feel a comfortability factor. That, okay, this person who's of South Asian descent knows what he's talking about when it comes to football. Therefore, I'm more likely to go to you. If we don't have enough of that visibility and we're trying to talk the game, I hate using the phrase, but sometimes the face doesn't fit. And that's mm. why I think 
we don't, I mean, I not personally person myself, and I, again, we are generalizing here, aren't we? But that's why I think when the face doesn't fit of your perception of that industry or whatever it is, you feel your brain doesn't compute it. The more you see it, the more you hear it, and the more you see people who look like us and talk, but talk the mainstream game, it triggers something different. I think, I, I guess Carol could explain it more from a psychological point of view, but I personally think from a layman perspective, that's what helps change perception. And I think that is the trigger that's going to help. And we need to have more of these kind of conversations, which are open and honest. And we need to have more rounded conversation where it's not just sound bites, but we're actually having this open discussion that here are the issues, but here are the solutions as well. And the solutions are in the actual work that you're doing, the actual visibility you are on the touchline of a semi professional club, the actual um, work you're doing with kids and helping them and get into academies, like you mentioned, the more we see of that, the more we're going to have a shift change. Absolutely, 100% agree with you, man. Cool, fantastic. Rudy, listen, it's been brilliant having you on the on the pod. Love the conversations. Will you come back again? Yeah, why not, man? It's been, it's been, it's been good fun. Um, right. Tell I've got a few things off my chest today. <laughs> <laughs> right, listen, I mean, it's in the morning. There's plenty more we can talk about. I'm sure we will again in the future. Um, just before you go, if somebody or any of our listeners want to follow what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, Instagram, Twitter, at Coach Rudy with two U's. Yeah. People always make that mistake. It's like rude vanish story. Two use. Uh, <laughs> so at Coach Rudy on Instagram and on Twitter. And that's probably the best place to, to find me. And any questions for any of these? Look, if, if there's any listeners out there that we haven't connected uh, and, and we, we haven't spoken yet and, and we just want to have a convo or whatever advice, anything young players want to get to work, then that's my slogan. Hashtag we working. We're always working. Just, just get in touch with me. DM me on either, either platform, and, and and I'll reply straight away, pretty much, because it's what we're in the game for. It's, it's not about me; it's about everybody else, man. Fantastic, Rudy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.